0: My plan is to inspire some of you this morning who weren't planning on coming Saturday to come. And actually for people who've been through this training, it's a great opportunity to get a refresher course. Travis Newton will have a little bit of fresher look at some of what we're doing because he wasn't teaching in the last one. And every time you have new teachers, you have new ideas and new viewpoints. Plus we're gonna have a great time of fellowship. I'm gonna to eat together so. If the team comes, who's already been trained, you can help us train other people when we um, actually practice uh, what we're talking about today. Just to clear the air, um, years ago, we were accused of believing uh, we could make people prophets. Well, that's wrong on two levels. The Bible says, and I'll read this verse in a minute, all may prophesy, um, but... That doesn't make anybody a prophet. That's two different uh, functions. And so it was wrong on that level about making people prophets when we were teaching people about prophecy. It's wrong on another level, and that's that we don't make anybody. We can't make anyone prophetic. We can't make anyone hear from the Lord better. But what we help people do is identify the fact that God is speaking and it's rarely an audible voice. And the truth is, you could scarcely be saved if you have not, quote, heard from God, unquote, on some level. And so we have great uh, great verses of Scripture. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice or hear my voice. Um, and so there's a whole lot to this, but um, fear and abuse of prophecy has given it a bad reputation in many circles. And if you are astute, that's a bad way to put it, because I'm going to disqualify people who shouldn't be disqualified. But wisdom is anything the devil attacks, there's got to be some validity to it or he wouldn't waste his time. Counterfeit money only works because there's the real. No real, no counterfeit. There are no counterfeit $76 bills. Why? There are no $76 bills. Now, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and I come from a long line of Reformed Presbyterians. Some of you know this, some of you may not. That we can trace all the way back to Europe. And my forefathers lived in the United States and practiced their religious freedom. That's why they came. Uh, we can trace them back all the way back, uh, pre-revolutionary war. And, um, so I grew up in that denomination and I count it a privilege. It's been a t- tremendous background for me. I have a tremendous heritage. Um, and as I grew older, uh, I wasn't really interested in church. Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody here that's not interested in church? <laughs> um, well, what happened was I had an encounter with Jesus in high school that um, did not involve total surrender. I sort of got, he clipped me good, but he <laughs> didn't really finish the job, so to speak. When I was in college, um, I had another encounter with the Lord that involved the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and power ministry and healing. So just to set the record straight, that's that's where I come from. And both from a tremendous fund, fundamental, foundational, denominational background, but also having um, an encounter with the power of God that I c- could not easily, easily deny. And as was the case, it cost me a lot over the years. I've had at least four or five distinct different new groups of friends based on what I believed about the Bible or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. And um, I would actually have people that, well, when I went to Erskine College, my, uh, Forefathers helped establish the college. It was a Presbyterian school. I had hair down to here. Um, I was accused at the synod meeting of the whole denomination of corrupting the college. And uh, see, the crazy thing was, it was those uh beach music guys that were selling all the black beauties and the speed. You know, the rednecks were, they <laughs> that place was corrupted for anybody knew what happened. I didn't do it. I didn't bring drugs to the college. Nevertheless, I looked like it. I'm not saying I never smoked any weed, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, <laughs> redemption's a powerful thing. But I would have, but, so, so when I got to the college, actually, my mother grew up down there, and the elder at the local ARP church met me on the steps of the church, first weekend I was there as a freshman and informed me that I would need a haircut to participate in church. And I thanked him. uh, I thanked him for the information and never went back. You know, it's just, that was what was going on. So they didn't like me when I got down there because I was a hippie. And when I got on fire for God that didn't like me then because I believed in speaking in tongues and healing and miracles. And I thought, man, this is a tough crowd. <laughs> but I would have people come up to me and say, um, will you speak in tongues for me? And if they were sincere, I would. And if they weren't, I wouldn't. And um, what am I saying? I'm saying that um, what I have, I've paid for, to, so to speak. Now, grace is free. But what you believe will cost you something sometimes because it may go counter, counter to what you've been taught or what you, or what you believe. And I'm, I'm sure there will be people here today, perhaps that will disagree with me, although we don't have to be disagreeable. But I began to realize through those encounters in college, God was much more real and interested in me than I ever knew. And, um. So after college, I married this wonderful lady, and I mean that with all my heart. We've been married over, you know, 40-plus years now, and she's just the dearest person in the world. And um after we got married, um, we were married in September. In April, we moved into a Christian community. I don't mean a neighborhood where Christians live, but a Christian community, which was totally our our goal was to be a demonstration of the kingdom of God and the love of God and we were there eight years and it started well and ended poorly and um, we had three of our four kids there and by the time I came out or we left and I left because I no longer um, I just couldn't go along with what was going on and um, but we left broke I, now Donna never got better. I don't know She she knows Jesus better than me but we left broke, bitter, disillusioned. And so, um, I don't think I read my Bible, honestly, for a couple of years. And my dream was gone. I, we gave everything. Actually, we were married, I think, 10 years before we bought a house because we spent those first eight years giving all our money into what we really believed in. And... um but see, that that's the DNA we got when we met Jesus. Jesus is wonderful, but this could cost us something. You know, Jesus is amazing, and he's worth whatever we go through. But there needs to be true devotion connected to your faith, or it's not really worth, worth very much. But I was crushed. I uh, developed that bitterness. I was good at it. I developed it into basically a walking nervous breakdown. And lost my vision for ministry, really lost my vision for church, but I did still believe the Bible, so I took my kids to church for one reason. The Bible said in Hebrews, you should. And see, to me, that was just my basic humility. I might be messed up. It's not my kids' fault. I need to do something with them. I need to care about them, so I'm going to take them to church. So we found a church, and we went. But I was basically disillusioned, disappointed, and in the process of being healed from um, a vision that we had really given ourselves to lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, we were all in. And when it didn't work out, and, of course, the problem was we were arrogant. We thought anybody not doing what we were doing weren't doing the right thing. So we were fraught with all the perils of youthful zeal and, um, but it caught up with us, and at a given point i i was I was in trouble in in this regard. oh, well, the Lord started healing me, I started recognizing I needed to forgive some people and um the problem was I'd had a call to ministry and didn't know what to do with it and I didn't like church, and that's a terrible thing to be called to be a pastor when you don't like to go to church. There's <laughs> anybody out there know what I'm talking about? I really, I, I just, I was hurt. You know, when you're hurt, you look through, you look through, um, bad, you have a bad, you're looking through bad filters and bad lenses. As a matter of fact, one of the things that concerns me right now, about all the hostility toward our government is no matter what side of the spectrum you land on, if you're critical and bitter, it's going to come bite you, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to hurt you. God's never called his people to be bitter and hostile and angry. Really, we're supposed to be praying for, not against. And that, that's, that's a challenge. But it really is what we're called to do. And um, it doesn't mean you agree. It just means you can't afford to be bitter and hostile and angry. I know where where that goes, and you don't want to go there. It'll take you places you can't get out of. Anybody listening to me? Yeah, you can't play with bitterness and anger and criticism. Jesus himself said, you will be condemned to the degree that you condemn. And that's what that is, whether you know it or not. Being angry and bitter and hostile is condemnation. And what you're doing is you're signing up for something you don't realize you're signing up for. So please, please figure out a way to get your heart clear. Uh, in the night as I woke up, I, you know, you have to be honest to walk with the Lord. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it really is true. And in the night, I wake up a lot in the night, and I'm not troubled. It's just almost like the Lord's lonely, so he's looking for some f- friendship. So... I had to recognize I have, as a human, an inclination towards holding grudges against people, but really, it's against the Lord. There's certain things He hasn't done for me yet, and the truth is, there are things I've done to myself He didn't do to me. I've done them to done them myself. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I've sown some wild oats, and I'm praying for crop failure. You know what I'm saying? In other words, <laughs> but I've noticed I have a grudge at times against the Lord for not obeying me. That's what it comes down to. You see, he thinks he's God. Really, he knows it. We think we are, but he knows it. And there, there are some conflicts. But um, I, I just thought, I don't want that. I want to have a pure heart. I don't want to, I don't want to be angry at anybody no matter what. And I think that's important. It says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So anyway, that was the situation I was in when uh, I was bitter. I was hurt. I had almost a walking nervous breakdown. I had been diagnosed as hypoglycemic. My heart hurt every once in a while. And, um, It's crazy. It's a terrible time. And I brought it on myself through my own attitudes. I don't have anybody to blame. But I was in that condition and I didn't know how to get out. And then I heard about this guy named Bob Jones. Now that's not the Baptist man in Greenville, South Carolina. He's sort of um, a fundamental Baptist, very, very conservative who would not really line up theologically with the Bob Jones I'm telling you about. Yeah. Some of you that know the one I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. He was a strange person in many regards, but he was a wonderful person. He was kind. He spent hours praying for people, but he began to have these unusual prophetic experiences, and I began to hear about him. Actually, I listened to some tapes Mike Bickle made who was interviewing him about all the different things that had happened in his life and the dreams and the visions and the accurate prophetic uh, words he had for people that just ransomed people, changed their life, pulled them out of difficult situations, gave them hope. You see, that's one of the primary um, uh, results of true prophetic ministry is hope and encouragement. You see, the problem with many people, they have their concept of what prophetic ministry or prophets are from the Old Testament where you're pointing the finger at somebody and telling them what's wrong with them. But New Testament prophecy is you're laying hands on people and telling them what's right with them even when it's not right with them, but God's intention is to release to them what's right. There's a big, big difference. And so when I met this man... Um. All I had to do was hear about him, and I started having accurate prophetic dreams that were mind-boggling. Now, it didn't last forever. I had a season, though, where I would have dreams about things that would literally happen to other people, and I'd tell them about it, and it would help them because it's not, you know, prophetic ministry is not a sideshow. Its intent is to touch people's lives and change them, and we'll see that here from from the Scripture in a minute. But when I heard about this man, and then when I met this man, well, people had warned me about him. Well, the people that had warned me about him went off the rails, and I'm not off the rails. I'm on the rails, and you're on the rails with me, and it's because a man who knew God, who could speak into my life, rescued me from my situation. Now, he didn't entirely do it, but he was part of the equation. And I had already known that prophetic things were true because I'd had experiences with them myself. Nevertheless, you know the amazing thing about Christianity at a a certain point, it just seems like it's not true and doesn't work. Has anybody ever been through that particular season? (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. But anything <laughs> anything worth believing is going to be tested. And, and, and if it can't stand the test, really the word of God can stand the test. Is us that can't stand the test sometimes. And a lot of things, God's not really testing us. We just do stupid stuff and get in a mess and blame it on him. And then uh, we're mad at him. And it's, it's a horrible thing to be mad at the person you're asking for help. <laughs> anyway, my topic today is why I believe in prophetic ministry. <laughs> so let's shift gears. What, what, am I, what is it, Rob? What are you talking about, Robin? I'm glad you asked that question. 1 Corinthians 14.31. How about reading, me, reading, reading, me, reading this with me? Is part of it off the screen up there? That's my fault, by the way. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. All is a tricky word. It's inclusive. What does that say? Let's read that again. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Now, the interesting thing is there's an aspect of learning, according to this verse right here, there's an aspect of learning that's part of prophesying. And when I say prophesying, basically all I'm saying is, you hear something for someone and you give it to them. You you and we'll talk. I, actually, I'm not going to go into the how too much. That's what you need to come for Saturday. But the Bible says, "For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be what encouraged." So the primary function of prophecy and prophetic ministry is. Encouragement. And the Bible here says everyone can do it. Does everyone do it? No. I actually know I know of pastors that believe if you believe in these kind of things you're you're not saved. Well that's crazy. And and I've argued the Bible with people, I don't do it anymore. I'm more interested in people that believe what I have and want help than people that want to f- fight about it. But all may learn all may be encouraged all may participate so we see here the bible says there that all can prophesy but all are not prophets that's two different that's two different issues now let me see the parameters 1 corinthians 14:3 but one who prophesies does what speaks It's hard to prophesy without saying something. So you have to be able to speak. One who prophesies does what? Speaks to men for what reason? Edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, notice very, look closely. Rebuking and correcting people are not part of the New Testament parameters the Apostle Paul gave for prophecy. Why is that? It's because you're not supposed to do that. And actually, one reason prophecy and the the prophetic ministry that I'm talking about has gained a bad reputation is because people jump up and want to prophesy doom, gloom, terror, wrong color carpet, who's supposed to be the pastor or something, correction, rebuke, and all this stuff goes on And it it just tears churches up. No pastor in his right mind wants that to go on. No pastor in the wrong mind wants that to go on. Because it's not edification, exhortation, and comfort. You see, a lot of people have trouble really believing God wants to tell people something that simply comforts them. But that's a main thing God wants to do. He wants, oh, I have heard people say, God never said his intent was to make us happy. And I'm thinking, how stupid is that? Of course he wants you to be happy. Do you want your kids to be happy? I'd rather they no, 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 come on. Do you want your kids to be happy? What do you want? I just want them to be strong. I don't care if they're happy or not. That's crazy. Crazy. Comfort. Edification. Exhortation. And comfort. I like that. I think Paul knew what he was doing. Now, what's the proper attitude towards spiritual gifts? Now, here's a tricky thing. When you read the New Testament, what the translators have translated spiritual gifts, the word gift never shows up in the text. Say with me, gift never shows up in the text. Instead, the word is spirituals, spirituals. Now, the, the translators just thought, i tell you the truth, I don't think the translators ever spoke in tongues or had prophecy. I don't think they knew what they're talking about. Pardon me for having an opinion. But the gifts of the Spirit are more like weapons than options. They're more like weapons than options. And when Jesus came to show us how men were intended to live, you know, Jesus didn't just come to save us, which he certainly did. He was not just the Son of God, which he was, but he was the Son of Man who came to show people how a man was supposed to live. And the way he lived was he operated in all of these different spiritual gifts. You can go through the New Testament and see what he does over and over and over. And then you can see how he released that to his apostles and disciples. And they saw people healed. Because that's who the church is. That's what the church does. That didn't change during the dark ages or when the canon closed. And that's one of the reasons the church is so puny and ineffective. We'd rather fuss and argue and tell everybody what's wrong with them than help them. Do something for them. But if you don't have that power, if you're not empowered, you're going to go to some kind of an intellectual aspect of ministry, which is a teaching. And we need teachers. But Jesus went about to do and to teach. See our teaching needs to translate into doing, or it's just intellectualism. It's just ideas and concepts. And so we go down through the ages just transferring concepts, but not really touching the culture or helping those people around us. So what's the proper attitude towards spiritual gifts? First Corinthians 12:31. But earnestly do what? Desire, what? The best gifts. That's that's crazy. The letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians was to, he had like a renegade church full of Holy Ghost people acting nuts. And he goes through this whole thing about speaking in tongues and crazy things going on. But Paul says to that same crowd, earnestly desire The best gifts. Later on he says, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way isn't just love. It's operating the gifts of the Spirit from a place of love. That's the more excellent way. He shows them an excellent way through the gifts of the spirit, then he gets to first Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, and shows them, but I have a more excellent way. You can do all of these things, but instead of doing them for selfish motives, instead of doing them to be a big shot, instead of doing them because you're the best prophetic person, got the most revelation, can explain the most things, it's you do that, you operate in that realm of power with the motive of excelling to encourage and help and release people. And that was Paul's concept. So he goes to this crazy Corinthian church where everybody's just doing nuts things, and he says, hey, listen, go crazier only, do it for love. I he didn't say go crazy, you know what I'm saying. Earnestly desire can be tra- uh, translated covet. Thou, you know, the, not, the thou shalt not covet word. There's one place Paul says, okay, here's what you can covet. Covet the best gifts. And people will say, well, you know, if God wanted me to have that gift, he would have given it to me. No, he wouldn't. Why would they be telling us to go after him if God just gave him or you didn't have it, you didn't get it? He wouldn't say go get him. You got to do something. I've heard Bill Johnson say, God will give us what we need, but you got to go after what you want. I've heard people say this, well, I'm open. No, you're not. That's an excuse. Open doesn't work. Next time you go on vacation, leave your house, and here's what will happen. Stuff you wish you'd had is gone, and people and places and birds and bugs that you wish weren't in there will be there. That's open. No, you got to covet earnestly. You have got to see the value of this and realize you could change a person's life through a gift or a weapon or a spiritual that we're reading about right here. My life was changed. When I met these guys, I got so encouraged I could have eaten shoes, leather shoes for breakfast. When you're discouraged, you make bad choices. You make bad decisions. You listen to wrong people. When you're discouraged, the most powerful thing this church could ever be is encouraged. Because when you get encouraged, you have courage to do those things God's calling you to do. But when you're negative and critical and hostile and judgmental, you are going to go down a bad path you cannot afford. We need to be renewed. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind by the Holy Ghost. We need to understand God has given us capacities for goodness, capacities for power, capacities for miracles, capacities for signs and wonders. We can be vessels of healing. We can be vessels of restoration. I got my destiny back when a man who knew God this way spoke into my life. I almost got there by hearing that there was a person like that. Don't you want to be a person like that? 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve. Even so you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for what? Edification of the church that you seek to excel you you uh you need to want to be the best person you want to think this way if if robin has an amazing word i want a better one <laughs> i want to have the best ones period that will help people the most paul says go for it go for it excel don't you know don't Oh man. Even so, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for building up the church that you seek to excel. First Corinthians fourteen one. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Okay. Now I want to give some examples and then we'll, um, we actually are going to have teams today that are going to pray for you and they pray in at least two areas prophetically, prophetic ministry and healing. But I wanted to, I wanted to give you some examples. I've, I've talked about this here before, but some of you don't come to church every Sunday. And since I love you, I'll tell you again. And you other people didn't pay attention when I did say it. I'm just playing. (laughs) I love this story, though, because when I was not married, God told me about how many sons I was going to have. And here's how he did it. And it was a strange situation. But this was one of my first experiences with God speaking to me in a form, in a method, in a way, I was didn't understand, certainly was not used to. I went on a short-term ministry trip to Ireland after I graduated from college. There were 35 or 40 kids, and we went all over Ireland, England, parts of Europe, and to the Holy Land. And um when we were flying over, it's my first. Well, it wasn't my first. But we were flying over in an in, uh, Aer Lingus, an Irish airline plane, and we landed in Dublin. We got our bags and we went to a youth hostel, and that was the hotel where guys bunked on one side and the girls bunked on the other, and it was cheap. So that's we stayed in places like that. And I can remember I walked in my room and I put my luggage down, and two Bible verses came came to mind. I may have put those up here. Let me see. There they are. So this is an initial encounter with prophetic revelation. First chronicles two twenty seven. Let's read that together. It's profound. The sons of the firstborn of Jeromeel were Maez, Jamin, and Eker. That's amazing. <laughs> So I had these verses, First Chronicles two twenty, and I didn't have the names; I just had the the um, reference. And the second reference I had was Genesis twenty nine thirty four. Read that with me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, "Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him." Therefore, his name was called Levi. And so those two verses, I wrote them down, and I looked them up, and I thought. That didn't make any sense um and then it struck me that my initials are r a m the sons of ram so it then in the in, with weird names the second reference genesis twenty nine thirty four it talks again about Now I have born him three sons. So I was telling people, and I thought, gosh, what is that all about? And I thought, well, I think the Lord's telling me in this strange way I'm gonna have three sons. So I told all my friends that, and they all laughed at me. And uh, actually, they were trying to get me hitched up with this uh, Dutch missionary from uh, the Amazon. But she's pretty mean. Uh, That wasn't happening. You remember Betty Schmidt? Wasn't that her name? She was something else. (laughs) Not my type. So I told people, hey, praise the Lord. God has spoken to me. What did he say? I'm going to have three sons. Well, how do you know? Well, look, man, the sons of Ram, so about well, that, you know. But here's the amazing thing. I did have three sons. Well, Robin, you're taking that out of context. No, I'm not taking it out of context. God took it out of context. <laughs> I wouldn't ask him about any of that. He took it out. If you, if you mad about the context, go talk to him. I didn't take it out of context. It is taken out of context, but you understand what I'm saying. He started it. <laughs> well, isn't that dangerous? Of course it is. You could get hit by a bus, too. Ladies and gentlemen, this is life. They know, well, I don't want to do this. It's dangerous. Oh, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can't do. Anyway, I don't know. how but somebody, okay. okay. Sons of Ram. Now, I had a daughter, too, but you know the Lord just don't tell you everything. And I think, no, I'm not gonna say that. Alright. I was, let me go to a different, another word. Um, I was praying for this lady. And as I looked at her, the word knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, like a knight in shining armor type, knight. And I was thinking, I wonder what that means. Wonder what that's, and I, I couldn't, I didn't know exactly what to tell her, so I just told her, I said, hey, when I was praying for you, the Lord just gave me this one word, and the word's knight. And so she fell down on the floor and just started sobbing. Now, does that make any sense? No, not to me. did to her. But you say one word to a total stranger and they fall down on the ground and start sobbing in joy. Really, it's crazy. And so I found out this later. Actually, she wrote me. She said the day before Easter Sunday, I was taken to the hospital. My heart had stopped beating. Uh, You know, that's a problem. There's some things you can't do without. The Lord resurrected me and I recovered quickly. While I was in the hospital, a friend had a vision of me. He told me he saw me with a circle of dogs around me which were attacking me, trying to kill me. Then he saw a knight come and pick me up out of that circle of dogs and set me apart from them. A month later, you came to minister. Your first word to me was night. I just broke. I fell on the floor sobbing. It meant so much that the Lord would even just remind me of who he was for me then and that he still is and will be my knight. That's what one puny word can do for someone when you say it to the right person at the right time. Get the witness see that little ring. Now, we have here in the congregation Megan McAndrews Rowe. She's sitting right over here. And the reason I am embarrassing her and making her feel self-conscious is because this next word involved her family. One Sunday morning, I was looking at the audience, and what we would do sometimes is we'd stand three or four people up, and we'd just start looking through the audience and taking time and praying for people and seeing if the Lord attracted our attention to anyone or had anything to say to us. And then we'd write it down, and then we would do it in a way that was a blessing to them. So I was looking through the audience one Sunday morning, and I kept being drawn to Megan's mother, Darlena. And then I would look away because I'd... didn't have anything from the Lord, but I kept coming back to her. And so I kept asking the Lord, Lord, why am I continuing to be drawn to, to the McAndrews there? Well, the third time I asked him, the words radio tires came to mind. And if this is the way this worked, I thought, what? huh? Darlena, you look like a radio tire. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but I just said, "Hey, I have this. I believe the Lord gave me this word." Radio tires. I said, "Do you need a set of tires for your car?" And she said that she did, but it was the week before Christmas, or two weeks before Christmas, and they were going to wait till after Christmas. The guy the tires, or Megan would be mad that she didn't get more presents. Not, not that. But you know, they don't want to spend the money for Christmas. But when they got this word, they went out in the parking lot and realized steel was coming through some of those tires already, and they were dangerous. And so the most amazing thing happened. Somebody gave them money that night to buy them a set of radio tires. That's amazing. That's amazing. And see... This kind of ministry is a faith ministry. Radio tires. Do you, do you need some tire? What's a stupid thing to ask somebody? Well, only if it's not if they need tires. And somebody winds up giving them a $500 set of radio tires. That's pretty good. I'd take that. You can tell me anything. If at the end of it I get something. <laughs> I'm easy to bless. <laughs> Andy too. Andy might need some stuff. I don't know. All of us. All right, next word. I was at a conference in Germany, and I'd been ministering to different people, me and a couple of guys on the team. And I spoke something to this one lady, and I noticed there were a couple of people around them that were with her. And I thought, oh, man, I think she's got friends here, and I don't have it. I don't have, I'm tired. I couldn't just go down the line and minister all of them. So I said, if you're her friends, stand up because I want to pray for you. See, that's the way of getting out of re-ministering every one of them. Just get them all up and pray for them. And so they stood up, and I prayed, and then I said, as long as you put Jesus first, you'll always have friends. Now, think about how vanilla that sounds. Is that an impressive thing to say to someone? No. It's unimpressive. It's dumb. But here was the problem. That group of people that stood up that I said that to were in a ministry named the friends of Jesus. And that's not the most amazing thing. They were in the midst of conflict and questions about continuing their ministry together as the friends of Jesus. So what did the Lord have to say? As long as you put Jesus first, you'll always have friends. Now, here's the thing. i got no clue. I'm dumb as a post. I'm just trying to be nice to them. I'm not trying to be spiritual. I'm trying to be nice. But it turns out that those two things are the same. <laughs> Kindness is an apostolic virtue. A couple more. Everybody okay? Good. Oh, everybody Okay. I know I am. I'm having fun. So that's all that counts. I was praying for a man, and as I looked at him, I got in my mind the word Boaz. And I know about Boaz in the Bible. Boaz married Ruth, redemptive heart, kind, generous, redeemed Ruth, and married her when it was an unpopular really sort of an unbiblical, Old Testament thing to do. And they became grandparents of David, and that was a messianic lineage. It was amazing. And so I said, I believe that you have the heart of Boaz. You have the capacity to have mercy on unacceptable people. I just said several things like that. Well, I later learned he was from Scotland. He happened to be a Baptist that did not believe in gifts of the Spirit, He had a daughter named Naomi and a granddaughter named Ruth. In the Bible, Boaz married Ruth, and Naomi was Ruth's mother in law. So that guy went, Oh, there are gifts of the Spirit. Off one little stupid word. One little stupid word. Four letters. Four letters can change a person's life if they're in the right order and said at the right time, in faith. You don't even really have to know anything. Sometimes you just have to say the right thing. They figured out. It doesn't mean anything to me. It means something to them. Now, an African missionary was coming to town a number of years ago. I was going to have lunch with him. And so I said, Lord, why don't you speak to me, and I'll uh, maybe I could help him. And so the Lord said, tell him not to forget the shovel dance. So I'm thinking, God, do people really dance with shovels? I mean, in Africa, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's before they build something. They dance. I don't know. And then, of course, what I really thought was, that's so stupid. I'm not saying that. Don't forget the shovel dance. The trouble was I couldn't forget the shovel dance. I wanted to because I didn't want to say that to him because it's is so stupid. So when we had lunch, I thought, well, maybe there's something in his culture. I'll go for it. What's the worst that could happen? What happened, though, when I gave him the word, he said there was a woman in Togo who had been healed spontaneously by the Lord in a prayer meeting they had from, from paralysis. But she was instantly healed, even though no one had specifically prayed for her. We saw a police officer get healed that way of... Uh, Um, a deviated septum last year. We weren't, we were praying for Dickerman and the other guy got healed. I don't know what happened to Mike, but, uh, it like bounced off of Dickerman and hit this guy. (laughs) Oh, never mind. But she was so excited, she said, I have a piece of property. We can put up a building and have prayer meetings down where I live. Well, Francis, that's my, uh, missionary's name, didn't feel good about building the building on her property when they didn't own the property, but they were going to build the building. But members on his team talked him out of it. So they spent, this was 10 years ago, maybe more, they spent $25,000 putting up a little building for a prayer meeting. And the day they were shoveling the concrete for a sidewalk, she came down there with the authorities and said, you have to leave, you can't have this, and you can't come down here, we're not going to have a prayer meeting." And when they heard that, the guys shoveling the concrete started dancing with the shovels, saying, oh, we'll just go build another place somewhere else. And they took a picture of a man with a shovel, and Francis says right behind him, there were these guys dancing with the shovels, talking about what they were going to do. But the Lord told Francis, don't forget the shovel dance. What the Lord was saying was, I gave you discernment not to do that, and you did it anyway because those bozos talked you into it. What did it cost you? $25,000. Isn't that that amazing? Don't forget the shovel dance. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Let me give you one more and then we'll take off. We were in New Life Church in Jacksonville, and we were doing prophetic training. And after the training, a young lady came up and asked me a question concerning a word she'd received the previous week. Also, a lady next to her who prayed for her told her, as they prayed, she said she saw a picture of a candy cane but didn't know what it meant. And the young lady who got the word didn't know either, but she'd been worried about this word she'd gotten the week before. Well, just before that meeting, somebody put a piece of a candy cane in my pocket. It was around Christmas time, so I had it in my pocket. And... She came up to me and told me about that picture the the lady had seen and, and told her, candy cane. She said, do you know what candy cane, do you know what that could mean? Well, I saw that she was pregnant, and so I pulled that part of the candy cane I had, that peppermint candy, out of my pocket, and I pointed to her being pregnant and I said, The Lord wants to give you something sweet. And when she opened her hand up, I dropped that peppermint candy cane in her hand. And she started weeping. Well, she started crying. She walked away. She came back later and she said, Someone in another prophetic ministry had given her this word um, The devil's after your baby. So she got this fear that she was going to lose that baby. Well, here's what the Lord had to say to her. God's given you something sweet. And that baby was born Christmas week. And I said to her, listen, dear, the devil's after everybody's baby. (laughs) And that broke the fear. Those two things broke that fear off of her. Do you want to live in torment and fear? No. About your baby? Go through months of that? No. Okay. Now, Travis Johnson will be in the lobby. How many of you are interested in coming to this now after we looked at this? Let me see. Raise your hands real high, real high, real high, real high. I saw that hand circle. Raise that thing again, buddy. Thank you. I'm the best we well, do sign up. Uh, we need to know how many people to feed. And you don't even have to join the teams if you just want to come for the training. That's good, too. But we're really trying to build our teams up so that we can help more people. And you can do this out there. It's not just for the corner over here. That's that's the real thing we're trying to do is give you a tool where you can actually, if you know how to do it in a way that's helpful, go help people. Okay? Okay. doke Oh, I did have this. Who who has um, a sinus headache? Yeah, if you have a sinus headache, stand up. We're going to pray for you, and then we're going to be dismissed. Who has a sinus condition that may not really be a headache, but you've got a sinus condition? Why don't you stand up? Just stand up. Well, look at all these people. Well, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the works of the devil. And by faith, I release healing for sinus conditions, sinus headaches, in the name of Jesus. Now, put, just put your own hand right on, right on your, the place that hurts. or And let's just, let's just do this together. Let's agree. I agree with healing. I believe let's just agree. I believe. I just receive your touch, Lord, now. Lord, crown these people with your presence and your power. In Jesus' name. Let's extend our hands too while we do this. Just if you're close to one of these people, get permission and put your hand on their shoulder. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Father, we ask now, just speak healing to him now. You do You do your person. Speak it, speak it. Don't think it, speak it. Say it. Say it. Just say, I release healing to you in the name of Jesus. the name of Jesus. We command infirmities to go. It's amazing. Jesus spoke to sicknesses like there were people almost. We command this to go in Jesus' name. We release the power of the Spirit of God for health and healing. Right now, in Jesus' name. Let's just wait a second. Let that power, let it, some of you are starting to feel a little bit of heat. That's healing heat. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. Lord, we don't want to have any grudge. We don't want to hold anything against anybody, Lord. Let's do this. Let's say, Lord, we, you don't, you know, let me tell you what we're getting ready to say. Lord, we release all grudges. How many of you want to say that? Lord, we release all grudges, all unforgiveness, all complaint against others, all accusations. Lord, give us that tremendous freedom. The Spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. Lord, that unabashed, Holy Spirit, joyful, liberating freedom and encouragement. Lord, let that be the characteristic of who we are in Jesus' name. Okay, we've gone a little late, folks. God bless you guys. We do have teams. If you would like prayer this morning, if you want to come up here to the right-hand side, that's my right, your left, I guess. Yes, and the art, don't forget the art meeting starts in 10 minutes on the other side of the building.